Good morning, church family. I want to invite you this morning to join me in praying as we prepare to hear the word of the Lord. I believe that this prayer is put in the worship folder, but uh, some of you may have already memorized it as we uh, repeat this prayer quite often. But would you take some time now to uh, quiet your mind and uh, to listen uh, if you're not able to pray along to this prayer. Make it the prayer of your heart so that what is preached, what is shared may indeed have its full work within each and every one of us. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. This morning's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 10, and we'll be reading together from verse 24 through to 39. Hear the word of the Lord. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord. If anyone deserved a good life, it was Jesus. No malice, no deceit, no taking advantage of people. Loved even his enemies and offered them forgiveness even while they were nailing him to the cross. More times than I care to admit, I have had this underlying expectation that God owes me a better life. I'm a good person, at least I think so. 
I treat people fairly. I am patient and kind and nice most days. And for crying out loud, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I've given my life. My vocation is to do the work of God. And so, perhaps on certain times in my life, I've kind of thought this, maybe I haven't said it out loud, God, when things get difficult and hard because I want to do your will, I kind of look to him and ask, why are things the way they are? But when I look to Jesus and I look to the scripture and I hear these words that he speaks to us, he challenges this false perspective that somehow I presume upon God to spare me from difficult things or challenges or even opposition as I desire to follow Him. As I desire to participate in the mission that I spoke about last week as a laborer in His harvest, as I desire to live in the ways of the kingdom, as I desire to be a part of His people in this world that bring good news, there's a part of me that kind of expects that it would be a little easier than it really is. And when it gets difficult, I tend to say to God, come on now, <laughs> I'm trying to do the right thing, help me out. But Jesus says to his disciples in the very text we just read, a disciple is not above the teacher nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciples to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? You know, it, it's like Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you're going to follow me and to attempt to live as I lived, if you're going to be associated with me, Jesus the Nazarene, and participate in the ministry and mission that I am giving you, you will be treated the way that I was treated. They even called me a devil when I healed a man who could not speak. They're going to say far worse things about you. I think Jesus has a way of helping me to not live in this false expectation that to follow God's will for my life is easy, but also to kind of help me see that when I decide to follow Him, that sometimes there will be opposition, there will be challenge. And while I follow Jesus, I am not him, and he was without any deceit, without any lies. He was perfect, if one can put it that way. And yet he experienced not only just gentle opposition, but opposition that would culminate in his very own crucifixion on the cross. I think Jesus is saying that if you're going to take me seriously, if I'm going to become that important to your life and you're going to want to follow me and do the things that I'm calling you to do, then you should anticipate that there will be opposition. Things will not always be easy. And I think that as I am preaching through Matthew and as I'm challenging us as a church to consider how we may respond as those who pray for God to send us out, to give us a passion and a mission and a vision for this world, 
as we pray that God would give us the desire and the heart to participate in the work of the kingdom, I think that Jesus is inviting us to hear what he's saying to his disciples, that opposition will come when you begin to take Jesus seriously and you begin to live in his ways. Maybe I could say it differently. Jesus is saying, get over this idea that it's going to be easy. <laughs> but I have, to, I have to be honest with you. It's easy to say that as a preacher, preaching from a text, but it's really hard to live that way. I mean, it's one thing to have somebody, you know, say something, uh, you know, about your faith here and there, but to experience the kinds of things that will happen to the disciples because they take Jesus seriously at, and, and are entering the world as those who want to love and restore and heal I think when one considers what they endured, these words of Jesus feels very difficult, very hard. I, I once heard a, a pastor that I respect greatly and a wonderful orator and preacher of the Word of God said, when he was speaking to a bunch of peace, uh, pastors like me, he said, you, you, you preacher kinds, you preacher types should resist the temptation to make Jesus tame, <laughs> especially when Jesus is as challenging as he is in this text. It seems that Jesus is painting for his disciples a picture of discipleship that is not warm and fuzzy and easy. In fact, the beginning of chapter 10 tells us that he gives them the authority to heal and to cast out demons. But in the middle of that chapter, he begins to say, you're going out as sheep amongst wolves. Anticipate that it might be dangerous and that you might experience real hostility. I, I, I want to just pause and let us take in this simple but important truth, many start stop following when things get difficult. Many decide that, that I became a Christian because I want things to be fine in my life. I, I, I want to honor God and, and I want to experience the kind of peace that He can offer. And while I agree with you that that's where we start, we soon sense that we are not just saved to be inactive. We are not just saved to be assured of eternity. We are saved to be a part of the kingdom work of God in this world so that others too may share in that very hope. In fact, another way of saying this theologically is to say that we are saved not just from sin, but we're saved into a particular way of life. We are saved to live in the ways of Jesus and in the ways of the kingdom. And, and I got to say to you that, that what Jesus came to do is to restore things. You know, in Matthew, when he teaches his disciples to pray, he says, pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. He's here. He came to do something incredible that would put all wrongs to right and invites the church to be participant in that work. It makes complete sense to me when I think of it that way, that that kind of work will be met with evil resistance because there is evil in our world working against the very plan and heart of God. But the one who calls us and sends us tells us to not be afraid for he is with us. So when we start to think about 
following Jesus. And I, I really hope you're hearing in these sermons over the last few weeks this, this real call for us to, to pray, not just the prayers of God, I've got a problem or a need, though those matter, but God, send me, help me to live in a way that, that, that sees the potential in your world and in people. Help me to live in such a way that brings hope to brokenness and healing to where there is illness. Help me to live in such a way that I'm a part of the freedom and the liberation that you've called me to do. But that as we begin to do those things, I want us to hear Jesus because Jesus wants to prepare us so that we would remain faithful even when things get tough. You know, suffering for doing bad things is understandable, but suffering for wanting to do the things of God is completely different. And, and, and I, I, you know, I, I couldn't help but feel the weight of this scripture for me. Um, there has been those moments where I've kind of expected more than I got. And, and there's been moments where I've asked questions of God. And, and what I love about the Psalms in particular, it, it says to me there are times where we don't understand, and there are times where we feel overwhelmed, and there are times when even in our pursuit of doing the right thing, we may feel overwhelmed. But the good news from God's Word and from what we see through the witness of Jesus Christ is that we have a hope in Him to sustain us even when we go through these difficult times. Uh, one commentator that I read put it this way. He said, we follow a crucified Messiah and there's no way to carry out his mission unless we share in his cross. <laughs> unless we take up the cross and follow him. And Jesus in the text we just read would put it this way. Whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I think that while um, it is exciting to be a part of the mission when we feel we have power and we're succeeding, it is sometimes hard to think of suffering and difficult circumstances as, as, as actually helping us to be more the people God wants us to be. But Jesus would have us understand that if we are like Him in this world, we will suffer like He did for the very reason he suffered. I think that Jesus is teaching his disciples to open their eyes to the reality of opposition or persecution as the early church would experience. And he's also trying to teach them that sometimes the opposition to living in the way of Jesus comes from surprising places. Uh, when we read the scripture, it is provocative, isn't it? It's disturbing, isn't it? It's, it speaks about, you know, daughters against mothers and daughters-in-laws against mother-in-laws and, and members of one's own family will be your enemies. And, and, and perhaps it's, it's important, I, not perhaps, I think it's important just to say this, that I think it's very dangerous to interpret the scripture in a particular way as to suggest that Jesus is saying that he's encouraging conflict in the family or that he disregards the value of the family. But Jesus is challenging 
anything that will vie for the priority of his calling upon the life of his disciples. And in the early centuries, families were incredibly important and powerful. Family gave you identity. When you read the scriptures, for example, you hear when, when, when people are described, they are, they are said to be the son or the daughter of someone. James, the son of Zebedee. Family was also the, the primary network for social well-being. So if a man died, his wife would be cared for by his son. If he didn't have a son, it would be his brother, and there was this sense of security and support uh, for individuals within family units. Families were also the main mechanism for business and personal contacts. Sons benefited from the reputation of their fathers, and provision and security was passed on through inheritance. But if you slighted your family in that particular day, if you turned against them in any way, if you shamed their name, it, 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 it meant a lot more than it perhaps means to us today. You were literally putting yourself apart from the very thing that gave you a sense of who you are and security in this world. And so when Jesus says that he's come to, to bring a sword as opposed to peace, he's come to set people against each other within households, he is not encouraging family violence, but he is saying this, that the priority of following him will put people in their own households against one another because there will be those who do not desire to give up the security and the claim of the family upon their own identity. There will be those who would not be willing to follow because they would rather stay where they are. You see, Jesus challenges us to consider anything that may lay claim to our allegiance to him and to give it up. How important is family to me? Ooh, very significant. You know my story. I, I had a great family. My mom was awesome, best mom ever. Um, loved me unconditionally. She used to make me feel like um, I could do anything. You know, from when I was a little boy, if I drew something, it went on the fridge because it was a work of art. Now that I think back of it, I was like, I'm not that a good artist, you know? It, it wasn't that great. Uh, my, my brother and sister were, were remarkable in their own way, and, and when they all died in a car accident, I lost so much. When I met my wife and we got married and we started our own children, you can understand, and just stay with me for a moment, how significant that family became to me. I, I now had a family again. And when I hear these words, I, I, I hear it differently. I, I don't hear it perhaps like some of us may be tempted to hear it as, as not valuing one's family, but I hear it very strongly. I hear it as, as Jesus saying to me that, that even the, 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 the things that you most cherish, most care about, even the things that, that, that you worry the most about, has the ability to keep you, Stu, from being who I want you to be. Do not let anything no matter how strong a claim it lays upon your own sense of who you are, no matter how important family is to me, I prioritize 
Jesus and His call upon my life as the most important relationship. It begins with seeing His value and His worth. And I've said this to you in many ways over the years I've been your pastor, but when you put Christ first, all other things fall in their proper perspective. We as human beings, we, we idolize things that often, they, they may not be bad to begin with, but they become things that keep us from following Jesus. There may be good things in our life, like our careers or, or our talents or our abilities or our children that is gifts from God, but when we do not allow Him to lead, us and we cling to things in ways that keeps us from following, we make those very things the idols of our own existence. When Jesus says he's come to bring a sword, he did not come to bring violence, but he says that anybody who takes him seriously will experience conflict, especially within a system of life that, that, that would not recognize the way of Jesus. Anything, anything that is greater, <laughs> anything that we love more than we ought to, anything that, that, that that's keeps us. You know, when, when I talk to Christians about sin, you know, when, especially when, they, when they're young Christians, they, they want to know, tell me all of what is right and wrong. I want to know everything that is right and wrong. But you know what happens when you mature in Christ and you grow as a Christian? You start to realize it's not just specific things, but it is absolutely anything. It can even be good things that keeps us from following Jesus, from serving Him. Listen, I, I don't want you to leave the sermon thinking I'm anti-family. <laughs> but I am asking you, are you making your family an idol? Or maybe I'm asking you... Uh, are you making other things more significant than Jesus? Whatever it might be, whatever it is, whether it is people or things, I think that Jesus says some very strong things to jolt us out of this false understanding of what it means to be Christian. To be His follower means to place Him as the priority of our lives. We, we, we live for Him. We sacrifice for Him. We go and do the things He's called us to do because we love Him more than all of these things. And so, Jesus not only teaches that opposition will come from surprising places, even from within households, and Acts has this narrative. The book of Acts shows us that, that, that this exactly happens. Disciples are handed over by those who know them and care about them to the authorities, and they experience the very things that Jesus is describing here. But Jesus would have them also know that no opposition, no persecution can keep them from being who God wants them to be. That even as they experience opposition in their life, they are able to give witness to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The early church preached, healed, and liberated people as they were running from their persecutors. And Jesus says to them in this text, that what I have spoken to you, what I've whispered in your ear, you must shout from the rooftops because when the persecution comes, there is also the opportunity to make known who God is. The opposition cannot thwart the plan of God, but indeed provide the very opportunity to share who He is in this world. I think that it is hard to 
place ourselves in this text as Canadians. We were living in First Peter, a, a letter that speaks to those who experienced perhaps more harsh treatment for their faith than most of us are accustomed to. But you know, to follow Jesus and to take Him seriously means that we will experience some resistance to it, and, and perhaps for each one of us, we may experience it differently. There may be certain things that wants to keep us from being who we're supposed to be and taking Jesus seriously. One of the things that Jesus defines in the text as keeping us from being faithful to His mission and putting Him, his fir putting him first is fear. It's repeated several times in the text. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Uh, Jesus seems to understand that, that those who take him seriously, not only will they experience opposition, but the opposition that they experience might make them afraid of living in the ways of God. And, and he responds to that fear in a very unique way. He, he, he says to his disciples, you know, birds are sold for a penny. And yet not one of these birds falls to the ground apart from what God has, uh, the, the, the power of the Father. Even the hairs of your head are all counted. And now my hair is easy to count, but perhaps the hair on my beard. Jesus says these words, if, if the Father cares about a sparrow and can hold it in place, and if the Father knows you so well, even up to the hair on your head. Do not be afraid because you mean more to Him than you realize. I wonder <laughs> if some of us uh, are afraid because we don't know if we can really trust God if we let go. I wonder if some of us are afraid to to say yes to Jesus and to give our lives completely to Him and to go wherever He wants to send us and to do whatever He wants us to do. Can, can I just pause myself for a moment and speak to parents? I want to say to parents that if you have children who want to respond to the calling of God upon their life, don't stand in their way. Don't keep them from saying yes to Jesus. Don't become the hindrance. Don't, don't, don't squelch what the Spirit wants to do in the life of those He is calling. I, I, I want to encourage us as a church to recognize that, that, yes, when we think about serving the Lord, it may come at a cost, but, but we can trust the one who says He cares for us, He loves us, we have value to Him, and it is because of that value that we have to God, we can be assured that no matter the price we pay, we will be okay. For we, in the Word of God today, have more value than we dare to believe. My friends, this is the Word of the Lord for today, a Word that perhaps needs to rest upon our hearts and liberate us from the things that keeps us from making Jesus the most important person in our lives. I say this to you because I need to preach it to my own heart and soul. 
I have said repeatedly that this pandemic is an opportunity for a renewal, uh, a change. We should not waste the way in which God speaks to us in uncertain times. And maybe the invitation in the scripture is to answer the question for ourselves, is Jesus my greatest treasure? Does he mean more to me than life itself? And do I trust him that as I give myself entirely to him, he will take care of me? Amen.